Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but over the last 21 days, you start to notice your own rhythms and habits in really unique ways ways. I've become distinctly aware of things that I do all of the time where my habits and the things that I'm used to doing all of the time that I had no idea that I was doing or that you just, they say a habit is really truly a habit when it's the thing that you automatically do without thinking about it. I don't know if anyone has discovered some habits over these last 21 days that you didn't know were there, but I found myself not knowing what to do with my hands because I've realized that I spend so much of my day and my times in meetings holding on to a coffee cup. And so I was walking around without it, and so I started just filling up a cup with hot water or filling up a cup with tea with like just, you know, caffeine-free, nothing in it, tea, so I could just hold that and carry it around. And somebody is like, you know, oh yeah, because tea is great. And can I just say to you, do not lie in the house of the Lord. Everybody knows that tea is not as good as coffee. There is a reason that we left England and established a nation where we can have coffee. And so I've been holding it. And then the other thing that I realized about myself is that, um, is that in the evening times, in the evenings, I, we like to watch like TV sometimes after the boys go to bed. And one of the things that I do while I'm fasting is that I often while I'm fasting then also turn off TV and just, or turn off most TV. We've watched a few things, like we've watched some documentaries like about church or some Bible-based stuff, but just most TV we've turned off. Hey, guys, somebody's mic is in my monitors right now. I'm so sorry, I was trying to push past it, but it's way too distracting. I've got like three things going on in my head. So in the evenings, we haven't been watching TV, back on track. We haven't been watching TV in the evening so much, and I didn't realize how much it was a habit in my life until we put the boys to bed and we come back into the living room, and I have found myself literally, I'm like, okay, I prayed, and I read my scripture for tonight, and I'm just like wandering around, like I'm like, hmm. I'll go over here then in this room. And I'm like in this room, and then I'm like back, and I'm like, what's going on in this room now? Have you found yourself just wandering or just like the automatic things that you do that you had, come on, you guys are leaving me out here, but somebody has found themselves in a drive-through line and you're like, how did I get in this drive-through line right now? And your body is like, oh, every time we have a difficult client, we come and reward ourselves with a McFlurry. And you're like, how did I get here right now? Has anyone else found themselves in some places over the last 21 days that you thought, how on earth did I get in this place right now? Because your habits just walked you right into a place that you had no idea you were going to. I think if we want to get some new places in 2023, there are some new 
habits. There are some new rhythms that we have to build. We have to create a new automatic response on the inside of us that says, I don't have to fill myself with all of these external things, but there is something that is on the inside of me. I am going to build a fresh habit and a fresh rhythm for my life in this next year. There are two ways that you can approach a habit or two types of habit building. You can build a habit that is outcome-based or you can build a habit that is identity-based. An outcome-based habit sounds like this. Let's talk about something like losing weight. Did you know nearly 60% of New Year's resolutions that are made fall under the category of getting fit, getting healthy, losing weight in the next year? Did you know that 9% of those are generally followed through on? That's just a fun fact for you. So since the chances are majority of people here at some point in their life have made a New Year's resolution under the banner somewhat of let me get more fit, more healthy, let me lose weight, an outcome-based goal, an outcome-based habit in the lose weight category sounds like I want to lose 60 pounds this year. Outcome-based habit. An identity-based habit sounds something like this. I am going to become a healthy person. Who I am is healthy. And either way, we begin to then develop the behaviors and the habits and the actions out of that. You are more likely to succeed when you create an identity-based habit than you are when you create an outcome-based habit. This is not a TED Talk. Stick with me. I know some of you are like, this is, you're like, this is not the church we normally have. I'm so sorry. I'm going somewhere with this. When you create an identity-based habit, it sounds like this. I am a healthy person. I have made an internal decision that I am a healthy person. It might not look like it yet, You might not be able to tell yet that I am a healthy person. All of the faculties of my life have not yet aligned with my new reality that I am a healthy person. All of the actions that I do don't yet testify to the fact that I am a healthy person, but internally an identity shift has happened and I have decided that who I am is a healthy person. And therefore, because who I am has shifted and has altered, the following decisions that I make begin to shift and begin to change in light of my new reality. And so now I begin asking myself questions like, what would a a healthy person do in this situation? Because I am a healthy person. And I tell myself, you know what, I bet a healthy person would take the stairs instead of waiting for the elevator. And so I start taking the stairs instead of waiting for the elevator. And I ask myself, what would a healthy person do in this moment? I say, you know what, I bet a healthy person would order a water instead of a soda with their fast food meal. And so I start to order a water instead of a fast food, instead of soda with my fast food because that's what a healthy, my identity has suddenly shifted my behaviors because internally I have made 
a choice and I have made a decision. When it's outcome-based, I begin to try to make decisions that force me the other way, hoping that the external changes in my life will somehow turn me internally into a new person. The thing is, because you don't really believe that you are that person and you haven't really taken on that identity, you are going to fail at making those external changes until you internally accept who the new reality of who you are and take on that identity is. And my concern is that we do the same thing in our faith life. In our faith life, we grasp for external things and we grasp for external behaviors and we hope that if we grab things on the outside, somehow it will change us and it will form us and it will make us on the inside. Have you ever seen one of those people that looks like they're healthy but they're not healthy? Like, let me just say it plain. Have you ever seen a skinny person that's really unhealthy? They just, they eat all kinds of junk. But somehow, from our external standards, we think that they have met the criteria for what it means to be healthy. I think so many of us are living spiritually like that. From the outside, it looks like we have made all of the right choices, and it looks like we know how to clean up okay on a Sunday, and it looks like we know how to say the right things to the right people, but if you actually cut us open on the inside, that's not what's deep down in us because we haven't actually made an identity shift on the inside of us from who I was to who I have now been called to be. In the book of Romans, chapter 3, the apostle Paul writes these words. He says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. He says, it is your faith. It is your belief. It is your internal thing. If you don't get the identity part right, your works can absolutely never save you. All that you have done, I want you to believe in yourself and to see in yourself that you are a child of God, that you have been changed into his marvelous light, that you once lived in darkness and now you live in light, that you once lived in torment and in torture, but you now live in the grace of his freedom, that you once lived enslaved and in bondage, but you now live free and able to worship and to dance, that you once lived as one who was headed for destruction but you now live as one who is headed for eternal life, that you were once the least, but you are now moved to the first, that you were once the tail, but you are now the head, that you were once just flesh and blood, but you are now seated in heavenly places. Your identity has to get in the right place. If we are going to move from a place of who I was, if you want to find yourself in some new places and in some new spaces, you need to make an identity-based shift in your habits this year that says from the inside out, I have been called, I have been saved, 
I have been redeemed. He has made me and crowned me and set me up in heavenly seats. I know who I am and I am a child of God. Paul was serious. He said, it is not your works. It is your faith. It is your belief. It is your identity that determines who you are. But if you flip just a few more pages in your Bible, you'll find all of Paul's epistles, his letters to the churches. And it's clear in his letters to the churches that Paul cares about their external behaviors as well. Most of his letters are written to correct behavior that he believes is not in line with a believer, with a follower of Jesus Christ. He writes them to say, this is how you should behave. And by the time we get to the book of James, James in chapter two says it like this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? James seems to be saying almost the opposite of what Paul has just said to us, that it is not by our works, but by our faith. And then James says, if you have faith and you're not having works, can that faith even save you? What is James saying? James is saying, can a kind of faith that doesn't transform you in such a way that it moves all the way to your external behaviors, to your external actions, to your external habits, to the rhythm of life of who you are. Can a faith like that really have settled all the way on the inside of you? And just like our person who has made an identity shift internally and that internal identity shift now finds them taking the stairs instead of the elevator and ordering a water instead of a Mountain Dew, just like that, your internal identity shift ought to move you into a place that you start making decisions that are different than decisions you would have made in your former self because you have found yourself in a new self. You have found yourself in a new creation. Second Corinthians says that we are new creatures. Second Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. What is he saying? He is saying that when you come into the things of God with that faith that justifies you, you are taking on a brand new identity. You are taking on a brand new who I am on the inside, a brand new belief and understanding and comprehension about what it means to be me. And the old me had some habits. And the old me had me showing up in some places thinking, how did I get myself here? And the old you whispers to you sometimes, well, you got yourself here because when you feel lonely, you always call up somebody who you know answers. The old you always reaches for an external substance to soothe yourself instead of digging into the depths of your soul. The old you 
always goes out and spends more than you make so you can pretend that you have clout because you think that that brings you esteem and prestige. That's how you got yourself here. But I have a new identity. I am a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So I find myself standing in a new place and in a new space. And I feel that same feeling of loneliness and I feel that same feeling of longing. And I say, I know what I would have done. But what does a child of God do when they feel lonely? And I turn on some worship music instead of calling up that somebody who no doubt would have showed up to my place just for an evening. And I find myself reaching out to my life group leader instead and saying, I need somebody godly in my life right now. I need somebody who can speak to me right now. I find myself, when I feel myself feeling low and feeling depressed, instead of numbing the feelings, taking it to the place of God in prayer and crying out like the psalmist before him and saying, my soul aches within me. I have wept all night long. I have covered my bed in tears and my couch is soaked in your mourning. That is a psalm that David wrote. He said, my soul cries out for you, God, and my tears do not end before you. And I find myself instead of going to these external substances, I say, what is it that a child of God does? A child of God goes and cries out before him and says, God, in the depths of my soul, I feel aching and I feel longing. I find myself feeling unvaluable and unseen. I feel myself trying to reach for extra things and hoping that if I get the right car or the right shoes or enough clothes or the right types of makeup or the right types of jewelry that people will look at me and esteem me. But instead I go to the scripture and I say, it's not any of these things. It's the fact that he has crowned me with glory. It's the fact that he has seated me in the heavenly places and I find my identity in him because I am no longer the old creation. I have taken on a new identity. Do the habits and rhythms of your life look any different to people who don't claim to be a follower of Jesus in your life? Is there anything distinct about the way that you live your life? Is there anything in you in the way that you respond to conflict? Is there anything in you about the way that you communicate with your spouse? Is there anything in you about what you watch and listen to that is different, that is distinct, that is a highlighting factor, that there is something, identity, belief on the inside of me that is different than who and who I was left me? Is there anything different? There was something different about the early believers. There were distinct habits of who they were. Distinct traits that when others looked on them, they said there is something different about that people. There were distinguishing factors about who, it, who they were and what it meant. Because they had accepted a new identity, it moved them in 
to some new beliefs, to some new behaviors, to some new habits in their life. The book of Acts is written by Luke, the same author that wrote the book of Luke. And the two books were written because someone commissioned Luke to go and study this early, this new thing that was happening with these Christians. And he began to study the life of Jesus and then the life of the early church and write down the account of it. And then the early parts of the book of Acts, he shows us what it was like to be a part of this new people who were calling themselves followers of the way, followers of the way of Jesus, that there were things about their life that distinctly made them different. We can find it in the book of Acts chapter two, the very end of Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42. There's several verses of scripture here. He says this. So what has just happened? Let me give you a little context first. What has just happened is Peter has just given an incredible sermon out to people. And it says at least 3,000 people then become part of the family of God. 3,000 people in one moment, in one day, shift from being in their old self into a new identity and a new self. And it tells us that, and then it goes on, and it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And they, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were all together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and with generous hearts. They were praising God and they had favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When Luke begins to outline what it's like to be part of this early church, of this new group of people who have taken on this new identity and their new internal identity translates into new habits and new rhythms and new structures for their life, he outlines several things. And these several things are, I believe, at least the foundational elements for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They are the habits that from the inside move us into what it means to be a Jesus follower still today. The first thing is that they gathered together. It says that they came together. It actually says that daily they gathered together in a group setting and they came out so that they could lift up the name of God. They gathered together and they came into a large setting so that they could hear teaching. They did what we are still doing today. They found spaces in the middle of their town. They would go into the synagogue still and they would sing songs of praise to God. And then they would hear from the teachers of the, of the word what it was to now be a new follower. And they would open up the scripture. The next thing it says that they did is it says that they gave financially. 
They gave of their finances so that they could see this new thing flourishing. There was something about what their new identity meant and shifted on the inside of them that moved them, not just to give a little bit of extra that they had. It says that they went and they started selling things because they were so eager to have something to bring in. They wanted to have extra to come and to bring in. It means that it is part of the habit of a believer to come come to the gathering on a consistent basis. It means that it is part of the habit of the believer to come and to give financially. It says that they were committed to prayer. They were a people who would be found in the place of prayer. And you can read, as you read through the New Testament, multiple times where it tells us, and they were gathered together in a room. They were believing. They were interceding on the behalf of one of the other believers. They were believing. They were interceding to hear from God before they made decisions. They were, belie- they were interceding, and they were praying to God about who they should send and moved by the Holy Spirit in where they should go and where they were kept from. They were a people who was before God in prayer and then it says that they were people who gathered together people who gave financially they were people who were there in prayer together it says that they were people who were serving it says that they distributed what they had to those who were in need it means that they didn't just come into the place to worship and to praise but they went to the places where there was need they lifted up their hand and said I am the person who can go and can serve that meal I'm the one who can go and can check on that family I'm the one who can make sure that things are set up before anyone gets here they devoted themselves to serving to making sure that something was always taken care of and it says that there was no need among them that there was no need among them it means that they never gathered in a room and said man if we had three more people we could really have done it means that they never gathered together and said man I bet we could have made that event a really great thing for those people with special needs who came if only 20 more people would have signed up they they had no need among them because they came to the place of serving And then it says that they fellowshiped. This word fellowship means that they gathered around a meal. It says that they gathered in their homes and they ate together. It says that they gathered in their homes and they studied the scripture. They took what was given to them in the large group setting and then they gathered in their homes and they continued to discuss it. These are the habits of the life of a believer. Paul says, Sorry, Luke says as he writes the book of Acts, these are the things that they did. When I studied the account of what it meant for their lives to be changed and to be transformed, they gathered together and they gave financially and they were committed to prayer and they were committed to service and they were committed to their fellowship together. This is what it means. And as we move into 2023, I wanna ask you, has your internal identity as a believer moved into external habits of a believer? When was the last time you asked yourself, what would a child of God do in this situation? 
How does a follower of Jesus behave in this moment? What does it look like for other people to look at my life and say, there is something distinctly different about what's happening? 